Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. My job is driving me crazy. Ah, sorry. Do you hate your job or does your job hate you? Sorry. Ah, sorry. I can't find the answer to the question I heard. My career crisis. A job for life. That was the dream for our parents' generation. Security, routine, a regular paycheck, a pension. But it's not the dream for so many of my generation and certainly not for millennials. Record numbers of freelancers and those who are self-employed and running their own businesses are proof that a stable job for life is not necessarily top of everyone's agenda. In fact, that stable job can feel like a gilded cage. Great people, security, a chance to be the boss one day. It's what making today's guest want to make a change, do something different, make a difference and chuck in her good, steady job, perhaps. More of us are inclined to this than ever before. I've walked away from staff contracts twice in my life, and always for the better. I'm radio presenter and podcaster Ruth Barnes. Welcome to My Career Crisis, the podcast that gives advice and support to those of you in crisis. And we bow to the knowledge and experience of our expert, Sue Ahern, who runs Creative People, careers advice and general spouter of excellent life skills wisdom. Hi, Sue. Hello, Ruth. Um, do you recognise that generation shift I mentioned? Is it something you see? Well, because I am incredibly old, <laughs> um, when I first started sort of my first big job in the 80s, um, I was promised a job for life as long as I didn't block my blocked my copybook. But it was a lie. In, no company, even then, could really promise you a job for life. They could say that that was their best intention, but you never know what the future is. So I think if you rely on that, it's a bit naive. It is, and I think it can also start to feel stifling, definitely. And I know a lot of people trapped in jobs where... They can't even progress because there's nowhere for them to progress to. But because it's a safe, stable job, they have to stay in it. It's a bit like what your mum used to say, you know, get a nice job with a pension. And those days are gone. Well, I suppose you have to get still get a pension. But uh, this idea that your job is going to look after you, it, as I say, is naive. And not only that, if you stay, you can get very resentful. That's right. So it's about taking your own life in your own hands, I think. Sue... Three reasons my job is not right for me. Mm -hmm. Go. Um, if you're having real trouble getting up in the morning and going to work, well, not so much getting up, but getting on the train and thinking, I've got to go to that place again, I really think you need to consider the job that you're in. If you find yourself getting into squabbles at work um, and then wondering why you did that, it's probably um, a sign of frustration. If you're happy and sussed, you don't have to do that. And if you're thinking, especially um, 
times like after a holiday, um, I've got another year of this, then definitely I think you need to be looking. But the tip is don't do everything at once. You've got a bit of space and it's better to work towards it than just go and hand in your resignation. Mm-hmm. Okay, serious words which are going to resonate uh, with our guest today. Um, welcome Rose and tiny baby Ivy to the studio who's making little um, gorgeous little gurgling noises in the background. I'm not trying not to be overbearing, scary, freaky, obsessive baby lady here <laughs> and keeping my hands off her. Um, but thanks for coming in, Rose, um, to talk to us about your career crisis. How are you? Uh, you're welcome. Yeah, I'm fine, thank you. Obviously on maternity leave at the moment, but um, trying to take this chance to have a think about the future while I've got a little bit of headspace. Headspace, in inverted commas, I think yes. you need to say there, definitely. Um, now, you work as a managing editor for a major think tank. Um, it's a stable job, good people, uh, excellent benefits. Like you said, you're on maternity leave at the moment. Um, but you're thinking of a change. But first of all, can you give us an outline of your experience so far? Just a rough little outline of what you've done and what your current job entails. Yeah, so I've been uh, working in sort of publishing or editing for about 15 years. So about 90% of my career has been with charities, think tanks, sort of NGOs, very short stint in the corporate sector. But effectively doing the same kind of job for all of that time. And now I manage a team, um, have more responsibility, but my actual sort of... So my tasks have changed, but the sort of purpose of my job hasn't changed, really. It's all about sort of editorial quality, doing annual reports, making sure materials look good, making sure there's publications to take to events, that kind of thing. Um, And in my current job, I manage a small team and have some creative input, but um, a lot of the work is quite routine. So we do sort of standard publications again and again and again. So you've got incredibly transferable skills. I know 90% of your career has been in that sector, but you've got really um, useful skills that can be used elsewhere. Now, you said you had a, a stint in the corporate world. What did you think of that? Uh, I lasted 18 months. <laughs> I went from, I was in a, I worked for a charity for eight years. There was a change of management there that I didn't get on with and I really wanted to leave. And I got a 17 grand pay hike to go to the private sector. And I thought, okay, this is great. It was so aggressive so hierarchical it's the only place I've ever had to complain about somebody else's behavior towards me um and I just I I just didn't believe in what they were doing um so that um I've dropped back down to sort of where I was but I'm certainly happier in this sort of less hierarchical more NGO type environment it's an interesting thing to consider I I mean you could have been just Uh, unlucky and got a particularly horrible company that you worked for Um, but is what you're saying that the ethical side of what you do the reason why you're doing is actually quite important to you it is although less so so I feel you know I've done human rights and mental health and I feel like after 15 years I've sort of done my stint in kind of doing good and I used to take a lot of identity from the cause that I worked for but now I feel like I'm not sort of against uh, a business per se, um, which I think is different from five or six years ago. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think that's the the distinction that you have to make. And it's 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 good that you've... Why, why have you changed your mind about the ethical side not so important? Why, do you know why that's happened? I think in part you can get quite cynical working within charities because you see a lot of 
uncharitable behaviour and you realise there's a lot of waste that you can't necessarily curb. So you can work for some really good ones and you can work for some that, I mean, corrupt would be too strong a word, but make you question, you know, the ethics of why you're there. Um, and I think it's probably a bit of a maturity thing that I've realised that not all business is completely evil. Um, yeah. if, they're, if they're providing something that people want in an OK way, just the place that I was working did a lot of stuff for making decisions about people's lives on spreadsheets in a way that I wasn't comfortable with. But there's a huge area between that and what I'm and what I'm doing now. Yeah, I and I think it's it's wrong to get into that mode of thinking that says uh, public sector good, private sector bad, mm. because it's such a mixed economy, really. And I'm now, you know, in the position where I'd like to work a bit less, but hopefully earn the same amount of money or even more one day. So, um, and I've been on a pretty flat salary in the charity sector. I had this kind of, I say, 18 months wage spike when I went into the corporate sector so it seems like looking at employers I'm not gonna cut hours and make the same money if I stay where I am which is again something that seems less idealistic than I it wouldn't be something I'd have even talked about 10 years ago but I have two children um, Rose can I jump in here and ask you about your skill set because I know as a managing editor you or, or anyone in, in a management role, you can sometimes feel like you are uh, being outskilled by your team. Um, mm. Have you felt that in your job? Because I know it's it's been a lot of print-based sort of journalism. Um, do you feel like there's been a part of it that's kind of leapt ahead of you because you've been, you know, looking at kind of team management and things like that instead of the actual nitty-gritty of the jobs? There has. You know, I'm not keeping up with the digital side in the way that I would have to if I if I want to have be in this business long term but this is also you know part of the reason for thinking about moving because I'm just not interested you know new things come up and like, there's a new digital platform oh we can do this like amazing thing with photo stories and I'm just like oh right yeah <laughs> and going to another kind of training day where a 21 year old teaches me what storytelling is it just makes me just I just you know, and so that's how I know that I'm not engaged anymore because I'm quite happy for the younger members of my team to go out and learn this stuff. Yeah. Because I just don't want, I'm just not curious about it. What is that about? Where does that come from, Sue? Because I've, I've had moments like that in my career as well where I'm just like, I just don't want to know. Don't even tell me about it. I don't care. It's growing up. <laughs> you know, it's no mystery. The things that made you really excited when you were 22 are not the same when you're 35 or 40 and you have responsibilities. You know, when you think about it, when you first start working, all you're doing is working to get money, to pay your rent, to have a good time. That's it. That's what matters. And if you do something really interesting, isn't that lovely along the way? But I think as you get older and you have more responsibilities, the quality of your life, how you spend your time is actually more important. And um, you don't have to do the job of the people that you manage. It's important that you understand how they do it and why they do it and um, you look at their motivation and how you manage them as a team. But some of the best managers I've ever met couldn't do the job of the people that they're managing, but they're very, very good managers. Right. And and this brings me to something you said to me when we talked on the phone, which was that someone said to you, if you don't want your boss's job, you're in the wrong job. Yes, that has been said to me. And I, I mean, I don't know. What yeah, was the gender of the person who said that to you? <laughs> I think it was my dad. Who oh. <laughs> um, is of a very, very cautious generation when he's, when he's thinking about jobs, you know. There's one or two ways to progress at my work, not particularly immediate ways. And I don't, I'm not interested in those roles, um, which are m more responsibility in kind of more complex areas. 
without a great financial incentive. And also just it, I'm starting to much more enjoy the project management and the making things happen side and far less like the editing and content, which is what used to kind of excite me. So, I mean, a lot of my role is now is trafficking and making stuff happen and negotiating with suppliers and kicking ass a little bit if people aren't doing what they're meant to be doing. And I don't do very much writing, which is what I used to, you know, get up and, and enjoy doing. Um, so I'm I'm wondering if there's a sort of more like project managementy or organisational role that I should be in because I really get quite a lot out of making stuff happen, and it's just maybe I don't want that to be um, publications anymore. Mm. I mean, that's really interesting that you've um, you could see you've seen an avenue for yourself. Do you think you could pursue it in the company that you're in at the moment? Potentially, I mean, there are some there is there is some change there. We've got a new CEO, and there's some things that are sort of shifting around in the organisation. So, it's something I could kind of keep an eye out for and kind of put myself forward to do. Um, but I think part of being on leave has made me think I quite like jobs where the idea is you go into different places and work with different people, and you're not going to the same desk in the same office every day. Um, and I don't know where to look for a role like that or if a, or what it's called or if a role like that exists sorting stuff out for people mm. is what I think I could be good at but I'm not sure what that would look like and, and particularly like I say the idea of just being out and about a bit more I like the, the that idea as well of being out and about and I like the idea of somebody thinking of a job change and 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 going into the job market thinking I just want to be out and about now let's see where that takes me let's see which jobs are out and about because it's quite a refreshing take on deciding what it is you want to do I think yeah I, putting down those things I mean we've spoken previously about what are the things that I want to get out of a job variety for example um, I'm someone who if I have to go and work in the same place three days running I'm getting really antsy about it I know I need help but um, I like the idea that I don't go into the same place every day you can reinvent yourself so mm. I think it's it's very good but if that that could be your longer term aim but it's how you get there that's the the yeah. interesting thing. Now, you mentioned their project management. While you're still working for this company, is there any scope for you to be trained as a project manager? Well, that's something I could I could look into when I'm back. I think um, it, it wouldn't be out of the question. Because um, there are several project management qualifications which you can do, so mm. Prince 2, for example, things like that. Um, and lots of companies, once you've got that, will take you much more seriously. Yeah. I mean, even if you've had lots of project management experience, like it sounds you have, you make things happen, you bring things on in on time. It's they, they like that stamp of approval. Now, if you can get your company to help you to do that, mm. that would be really useful. Yeah, I mean, that's, that, that might be possible. If I can sort of sell it to them that it broadens my skill set for them sure it's uh, not like hey can you can you skill me up so way. i can leave yeah well it, it could um, be as well once you've got the qualification different vistas might be open to you within that company yeah because you are now a bona fide project manager and and because I'm, I'm a great believer in don't wait until people find an opportunity for you just try and make it happen yourself so thinking around the problem thinking I can see an opportunity there then as you say new CEO going and selling it to them mm. I think if you wait you're in invariably disappointed so it's it's best to try and take the opportunities yourself yeah do you fancy listening to somebody else's career crisis and we try and help them out come on let's do it here we go uh this is Gwynny um who says 
I've worked for advertising agencies and she lists a couple of the really big guys. Um, then I moved to work as the creative and marketing manager for London Fashion Week. Oh, I stopped working to have a family and then got divorced and moved from London to Brighton. When I tried to go back to work, I found that it's been very difficult. I didn't want to believe that having a career break was really a problem, but it is. Plus, living in Brighton has also made it very hard to get back to working at the level I was at formerly. I now work for an architect's practice in Brighton and do their marketing and PR. I'm trying to work in London. It's pretty difficult and salaries are generally very low locally. My job now is nice, but not really very demanding. I like this question because it really does highlight the old I'm not in London thing and mm. the fact that things are still pivot so much around London, especially if you're in that kind of world, I think. Um, what do you say to Gwynny? Yeah, but Brighton's a good place to be. I mean, it, it's not like, I mean, I won't mention any places because it might sound terrible, but, you know, Brighton's thriving. Um, anything that stops you getting on Southern Rail, though, I would think would be a good thing. Um, <laughs> I know people have given up their job in London because of that. That's true. It's a very serious problem. Yeah. So um, I, I think it's about um, uh, trying to make the best of the opportunities in Brighton. I mean, there, there is one thing that you said there that always makes me sad, which is, you know, I... I took time off to have yeah. children and then I got divorced. Mm -hmm. Oh, well, if I had a pound for every time I'd heard that. And, you know, the old feminist in me says, um, I'm going to use a profanity now, I hope nobody minds, but I've always thought it's important to have fuck-off money, you know, so that I've got enough money to fuck off if I want to, mm -hmm. but also um, that, I, that I have choices. And so many women, isn't it wonderful that they do that, that for their children? But your children grow up very, very quickly and then you're left with the rest of your life. What are you going to do with it? So trying to keep an iron in a fire, even if it's only part-time, this is absolutely my own personal point of view. And if you're someone who has a wonderful husband who's going to look after you for the rest of your life and you can devote yourself to your children, aren't you lucky? But most people aren't like that. So having the wherewithal to try and go back to your career, develop yourself. I mean, it, it may well be she's suffering a little bit of lack of confidence I mean, it's, it, she sounds like that. Um, anywhere you can in terms of um, networking, you know, getting in with other people, um, just trying to get yourself back in, get more confident. I mean, I'm always an advocate of things like assertiveness training. Um, I, I mean, I train myself, I, I train people to be assertive, but I just think anything like that, which, which improves your confidence, helps you to meet other people is really, really important. Yeah. Okay. Well, I hope that helps a bit, Gwynny. And I, I think I felt, you know, it's you need to, to turn your mindset around. It's not that you've kind of spiraled down to this position that you're at. You're actually in a really good position. You know, you've got a job, you're working in Brighton, like you say, plenty of worse places to be. Um, and actually, it's a good launch pad for another for, for moving back into the direction you want to be in. I think it's very much about that does feel like about a, a, a mental switch around that needs to happen. Maybe I, I know also in Brighton, I mean, I know, um, from the media world that I, I come from, so many companies now are opening, opening up on the South Coast, mm. mainly because of there's, there's this sort of um, special dividend given to companies outside London, you know, to try and regenerate local uh, businesses. But I, I do think that there's an opportunity there waiting to happen, but you've just got to put yourself about a bit and, you know, talk to the right people and trying to get in those circles so you'll be ready when it comes. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. 
Bombas, big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at uh1.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is PlushCare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Rose, does any of that resonate with you? Do you have any opportunity to be kind of, I don't know, pressing the flesh? Obviously not now when you have a small child attached to you, but um, to be out there meeting people in, in your circles. Uh, we actually, it's a requirement at, at my current job. Uh, we have to sort of demonstrate that we have networked with, oh God, how many is it? It's like five people in a month or something, <laughs> which is it. We sort of just go, go and phone up people we used to work with and then try and make it count because it's a bit onerous. <laughs> But um, I've no, I've how do they? No, how do they police that? How do they? As a spreadsheet. Oh, it's mandatory networking. I get it in the sense that we wouldn't probably do it otherwise, and it, it has been quite useful. And um, you know, they are good in that I'm able to put myself forward to go on courses and 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 meet some people. And I think maybe if I do it with the angle of looking at the future as opposed to sort of sitting there a little bit bored because I feel like, oh, I've been doing this for ages and I'm just meeting more people who are doing the same thing that I'm doing, then it could be useful. But I haven't, I mean, maybe um, like your other guest, I haven't kind of taken that as an opportunity in the way I could have in the past. It's not networking for the sake of it, though. Mm. You know, it's about just putting yourself out there. And, and I mean, not even... Uh, networking for me is, is about giving as well as taking. Mm. So I might go to an event I've been asked to go along to, and my, my objective is just to talk to people, not so they'll give me a job, um, but just to see, oh, are you interesting? And, mm. and if you're nervous about that, one of the best things to do, I, I always find someone who's on their own and just go up to them and say, hello, I'm Sue Ahern, who are you? And they're usually so thrilled that you've spoken to them that you've made a friend for the rest of the evening. So it's fabulous, you know. It's not that hard. And it may be your paths may never cross again. But you just talk. You may have areas of interest in common and they'll probably remember you. But I would never go to a networking event in order to sort of work the room. You know, that sounds so false and horrible and that's what it is. Um, can we talk about what you would like to take forward? Like what, what's your skill set? What are the things that you're most proud of? That you, that you would use to sell yourself in your next role? Um, You've already mentioned that you like to kind of be in the middle of the team and geeing people up and, you know, getting people going. Yeah. <laughs> What's I mean, the official I suppose, top title for that, job title for that? I don't know. Cheerleader, I think. That's it. Um, I mean, I suppose the reason why I've generally got on well with bosses is because if, if people give me something to do, it's, it's done. They don't need to talk to me again about it or, you know, they can, but... It will happen, you know, and I think I've become even kind of more efficient since I've had children because because I don't have the time to sort of endlessly go over things. I'm much more kind of can do. And I think I probably have project management, but just not in an official way. I mean, all my projects kind of happen. Oh, 
Sorry. <laughs> a little coughing, a little, coughing. little human, baby. Yeah. yeah. Um, if we'd asked you what you're not very good at, I think you'd probably be much more comfortable at answering that question. So many women are. Yeah, probably. I mean, I can, I can do budgets and I can manage people, but a lot of it's from experience. So how I would demonstrate that out of my sector, that's the sort of the difficulty I think I'm going to have is is um, how can I prove that I can do the things that I say I can do? A lot of this is about how you present the information. And it's mm. really interesting how many caveats you're putting in there. So I can write, I can, you know, it's all yeah. very diffident. Um, and it's, I can write, you know, you're yeah. a proven writer over many years standing. You talk about what you can do. It's up to the people who are interviewing you to find out what's the truth that's their skill in the interviewing process okay. but it's it's so interesting this diffidence I was talking to somebody recently I was helping them to rewrite their CV and it was not a very good CV and as we were going through she mentioned that she was fluent in three languages and it was nowhere on this CV and I said to her if I was fluent in three languages it would be on a sign around my neck so that everybody <laughs> yeah. could see it and um, it, there's a very interesting difference having done a lot of interviewing there's a very interesting difference between men and women when men are much more confident about saying what they can do and they very rarely say but I'm not very good at that but women seem to always want to insert that you know so I think there needs to be some work on on how you present what you can do and how you sell yourself. Yeah, yeah. Um, because it sounds like what you do is extraordinary. I don't think I could do what you do. And I think also when you write your CV, you need to do it in terms of accomplishments. So, for example, I have managed successfully. And then you talk about the projects that you have managed, big and small, doesn't matter. Um, and the elements that were involved in those projects. So the marshalling of people, for example, of money, of time, of dealing with snags along the way. But you talk about it very much as though, very proactively, as though you have accomplished this, not just like a, um, a list of things, but all the projects that you have successfully brought in. And it's just the whole tone of something. It's about the way that you write it, which sounds more active. Because whether we like it or not, people don't read CVs very thoroughly. They, get a, they look at the first page and if it jumps off the page at them, they'll see you because they're interested in you. But I'm sure with anybody, you can... I mean, I do this regularly. Somebody will send me their CV. There's a lot of good stuff in it, but it's really hidden. Mm. So would you, would you move away from bullet points and actually write whole kind of paragraphs describing something that you've achieved, almost like a bit of a story? Um, bullet point points, there's nothing wrong with at okay. all. But they've got to be very positive and talk about accomplishment mm. rather than just a list of duties. OK, sure. Yeah, yeah. so... so um, have been responsible for, however, pounds on a project, uh, very short time scales, um, maybe difficult employees or whatever. But how you've turned that round, mm. it's a list of accomplishments that's that's so important. How good are you at writing your CV? Um, I think my CV is probably too uh, duties led at the moment. I have got a, I had a sort of section at the top that was about um, you know things I'd achieved and then went into duties. But one of the things about the NGO sector is that everything's done by incredibly lengthy application forms. Oh, of course, yeah. Um, 20 page, you know, how do you meet the person spec paragraph on 50 points? So I'm probably not very experienced in writing CVs. I've only used them a couple of times. So that's really useful advice about sort of um, focusing on achievements. I mean, certainly in the corporate sector, you would be expected to hand in a CV and they are looking for bullet points, pithy writing, accomplishment-led 
that's what that's what they they just want to look at it quickly and say yes or no. And what about the the pink paper and the kind of you know the graphics I have around the edges and uh, you know the cal- calligraphy around my name and is that not doing? You see, it? the problem so, about that no. is it sounds like a really good idea when you're doing it and it makes sense to you. <laughs> it but makes so much sense to me. It just people so can pretty. read so much into that stuff. You know, I remember once getting. Um, uh, a CV that somebody had done and they'd actually pinking sheared the edges of it, you know, so it was up around, I've got a paper cut, this is not going to endear me to this person. But also, you know, nine out of ten people might think this person has escaped from somewhere and one person might think, oh, what an original talent. So I'd go with a nine, I'll really. stop. I'll stop spraying yeah. my CV with perfume then. OK, <laughs> yeah, I'll stop do doing that. that, Sue. My career crisis. Should we hear one more from someone who's written in anonymously. I'm 20, a former university student until financial problems arose. Currently live with parents and found a part-time job. I'm at a point in life where what I do now can greatly influence the rest of my life. My big issue is that I understand I need to find what it is I love doing, but I don't know what that is. Sure, I have interests. So does everyone else. How can one find what it is they love to do? I play video games, but doesn't mean I want to become a professional gamer. A career that pays well isn't of interest to me either. I'm a simple person with simple interests, but this idea is extremely complicating for me. Any advice is appreciated. She's putting an awful lot of pressure on herself at 20. God (laughs) help us. You know, I mean, this whole idea that it's so crucial what you decide in the next year or so, no, it isn't. You know, okay, so you spend a couple of years farting about until you find out what it is you want to do. That's fine. Um, I, I mean, I would have hoped that sort of younger people now, you know, we, we hear a lot about millennials and, and generation, whatever it is now, are more laid back about about this. And it was sort of maybe my generation that was saying, no, you've got to go to university, you've got to get your qualifications. And it's so sad to hear a 20-year-old person really beating up on herself like that. I think anxiety is quite a big issue for this this um, generation, though, in some ways, because the news is full of such doom and gloom about our future at the moment. And they're sitting there thinking, I'm never going to buy a house, I'm never going to have a job, I'm just never, it's all going to go downhill. So I think there is that real sense of anxiousness maybe I didn't have because to me it all was it was thumbs up it was all everything's going to be great Mm. you know it's It's interesting the whole house thing I mean Mm. if you go to Europe most people don't own their houses they rent their houses and they're affordable you know yeah it's a very uh, British thing that we buy houses so that's very that's part of the psyche here but going back to her job thing, what I'd say there is, let's make some basic assumptions. She doesn't say what her part-time job is. But, I mean, so some simple things. Do you like working with people or not? You know, are you one of these people who would like to sit in a room on their own creating something? Or are you someone who likes to be working with others? Do you like, um, one of the things that came up earlier, do you like working in one place? Do you want to work in many places? Is it important to you that you do things very precisely or are you bigger picture? There's loads of things she has to sort of think about. And then you can start looking at jobs that might give you that. But I think we've said before that think about you first and what you need and then find a job to fit it, not the other way around. I think there's also a lot of pressure on that generation as well to to do something awesome. You know, having a simple life isn't enough. It's like you're not allowed to just want to just enjoy your part-time job and live with your mum and dad for a bit and just keep it keep it low-key. It's all about being big and famous and wealthy. I'm speaking very generally, but, you know, I think there is that kind of focus on everything has to be fabulous and awesome and a big deal. You know the other thing that um, I find very upsetting, the whole Facebook phenomenon 
which is that, you know, can we just say those, a lot of those pictures are staged, you know, that, that I've got my best slap on, I've got my best dress on. Oh, aren't I having a fabulous life? Most people aren't. Most people are just getting on with it. But I think there is so much pressure now that, that you put things on Facebook to show everybody how really desperately happy you are. And a lot of that just is not real. Yeah, it's it's the it's the updates that end end with hashtag blessed that I just want to punch them. <laughs> and you know, I have friends who I consider sane who post that kind of thing. I just need to go on here and publicly tell everyone how happy I am right now. Give a shit? No, really don't. <laughs> Thanks. You know, bring on the dislike button. Yeah, I had a, someone who uh, I'd known some time ago got back in touch with me through Facebook. And the Facebook. Mess, they said, uh, oh, you look really happy in all your pictures. And I said, of course I do, because I'm not going to put a picture of me crying in a corner <laughs> or like looking really miserable. I mean, like, yeah, most of the time. And everything is light and shade, isn't it? That's what life's about. So, you know, you're sitting there with such a lovely baby now who's... Uh, very contented but I bet you're pacing the floor with her at three o'clock in the morning and you're you're knackered yes. and sometimes you feel like a milch cow don't you all the time because you're breastfeeding but you put the lovely pictures on Facebook yeah. and, but it's it's both those things life is both those things it is and but it's the it's the feeling like a kind of milk sack that's <laughs> pushed me to sort of you know this might be the worst time to start thinking about my career but when you feel like your world's getting quite small that's what's made me think okay I need to be like you say be proactive because in my 20s I kind of waited for opportunities to come to me and I thought something amazingly exciting would just sort of happen and now I've realized well if I want to change something kind of I have to do it um and and feeling just like a sort of uh feeder is, <laughs> is um well I think you've got you more know, time. where am I kind of you know I want to be mentally <laughs> engaged in the future at least you've got more time at the moment to think yes. about these things but it's so interesting what you say about in your 20s I mean again I'll make an old feminist point but we are actually brought up on stories of one day my prince will come you know and I do think often that women wait for the opportunity instead of making the opportunity and if I could encourage people what's the worst thing that happens if you ask they say no well, you're not going to die, are you? So uh, actually asking for things and not being passive and waiting for things, I think it's, it's really important. Um, when you got in touch with us, you said you feel at a crossroads. Have we helped in any way to uh, let you decide which one of the four roads are going to take into the future? Uh, yes, I think there's that feeling of, you know, you've got to throw, you know, there's, you've got to throw everything in. And, you know, leave all your security and just, you know, go out into this brave new world. And actually, it probably is more sensible for me to try and extract what I can from my current job. And kind of knowing that I'm doing that will help a bit with the frustrations. Um, and I'm a bit of a control freak, but I'm getting better at delegating. So, you know, if it's an opportunity for the people who work under me to learn about this Snapchat which I've no interest in, <laughs> then, you know, then they can go, go to it. And that probably makes me a better manager in some ways. Or this is what I will tell myself. No, it's true. Um, it's true. So, yeah, I think a bit of patience probably um, with an eye to just keeping on chatting to people and finding out about other people's jobs um, and using those kind of personal connections that I can make. I, th I think the important thing is that you've made a decision that you want to change your life and that's great. Yeah. You don't have to do it now. You don't have to do it in the next couple of months. You can take a longer view. And I think what you said was very wise. If you know there's light at the end of the tunnel 
and you're working towards it, you actually get less frustrated. It's when yeah. you think there's no way out that that's when the frustration rises. But also you want to spend some time with the baby and, you know, if you can negotiate, say, three days a week and trying to learn some more formal project management qualifications, win-win. Yes. Yeah, yeah. That, I mean, and, and I, I mean, I went back to work with after my first daughter partly because I thought I, I really really enjoyed the job and I got back and it had completely changed and um, not for the better but I'm hoping that you know when I go back this time I'll have a bit of sort of new energy um, and will have taken something of a sort of step back from some of the politics and that kind of thing and I can treat it as a bit of a fresh opportunity not to stay there forever but a fresh opportunity as a springboard Definitely. so we'll see. good luck yeah thank, thank you so much you. for coming in and sharing your career crisis thanks sue um if you want to come in and talk to us about your career crisis get in touch we're on twitter at my career crisis best thing to do is follow us there we'll follow you back send us a message all that kind of thing or the website mycareercrisis.com you can get in touch with us that way thanks so much for coming in and bringing your lovely little baby so we could coo over her You're um and uh, good luck with the future thank you Thank you for downloading. Subscribe to us, please. And don't forget to review us in iTunes. Bye. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.